It has been uh, good um, as we kind of take a break from what we normally kind of do on Sunday mornings, which is go through uh, various books of the Bible, and uh, we've been uh, the past couple weeks, and we'll continue for the next couple of months, actually, um, continue through a sermon series about the church and Church 101 and what the church um, ought to look like. Uh, this, this morning, we are going to look at the leadership of the church and what that should look like. Um, and just want to warn you, th- this topic is kind of so vast that we're not going to get to everything, uh, but I'm going to try to touch on uh, some high points and some things that I feel like are just uh, really important. Uh, last week, I've heard uh, wonderful things um, about the uh, Sermon on Church Discipline, and given in that light, I, can I ask a couple of you to come forward? Just teasing. Um, not doing that this morning. Um, one of the things I feel burdened about, in particular, as we've been going through this series, is to um, really emphasize to uh, some of our younger folks, uh, whether that be teenagers or um, some of our college students or maybe some of you that are are new to the Bible church and uh, you are younger than some of our more seasoned uh, folks. And one of the things that I hope that this series does is that my hope is that as we preach from God's word what the church should look like and what the church should be about and how the church should be ordered My prayer is that where the Bible speaks, it'll just be imprinted on your heart. So that, for example, some of our younger folks who who may go off to college uh, or who who may uh, get a job transfer or something like that, that as they leave, they know what the Bible says about the church, about discipline, about the way the church should be ordered, what we'll look at this week. So that when they step into or they're looking for another church, they look for a church that's healthy. They know the right things uh, to look for. So today, we're going to look at what the Bible says about the leadership of the church. Uh, I'm just going to warn you, um, some of the things that we'll talk about aren't explicitly in the Bible. I'll give you an example. We'll talk a little bit about the way that we go about selecting our elders. We think it's biblically informed, but nowhere in the Bible... Uh, does it lay out what we have in our bylaws about exactly how to do that before the annual meeting? There was no such thing as an annual meeting in New Testament times, right? But we feel like it's the best way. It's, it's the distinctives of Signal Mountain Bible Church. We feel like it's the best way to, um, to do what the Bible is calling us to do. Now, one of the things I want you to know from the outset, uh, and I thought about asking you ra- to raise your hands if you had been in a uh, a church that was either split or uh, had been through a difficult time. And, but I'm not going to have you do that this morning. Uh, but, but one of the things that I am just convicted of, uh, as I have friends in the ministry, as I have uh, brothers, that, uh, pastors that I walk alongside, is that a, a, a disordered or misordered church creates chaos that oftentimes leads to much hurt and pain. I grew up in a church that was a typical uh, Southern Baptist church where you had the model of church leadership was a pastor that was kind of the CEO and a deacon board that really didn't know who they were um, because as they searched the scriptures, they saw, well, here's the role of a deacon, but yet we kind of feel like we're in this like authoritative role and 
somebody's got to keep the pastor in line, and so inevitably there becomes conflict um, between the church, the pastor, the congregation, the deacon board, and it's just created a lot of hurt and pain. I was so thankful. Um, I was so thankful when uh, I, after left seminary and uh, went to Crossroads, that was the church I was at before here, that it was ordered correctly and got to start my ministry uh, as a pastor in a church that was functioning in a very healthy way. And I could go on story after story about how great that was. Um, But I can also tell you the story of the guys that I grew up with in the youth group uh, that experienced a church split from a church that was ordered uh, and disordered (laughs) wrongly. Uh, Many of those guys, my best friends from the youth group, are not involved in church. Their view of church, their view of church politics and church leadership has, has kept them away. And, and I, I run into them all the time and just pray. Just pray that God would bring them back. And so I'm so thankful for Crossroads. And the other thing that I've been thankful for, and uh, to be honest, I would not have even considered coming here. This is how strongly I feel about it. I wouldn't have even considered coming here unless I felt like that Signal Mountain Bible Church was ordered the way that God would want it ordered according to the Scripture. My friends in the ministry that are looking at uh, uh, taking on churches, um, it's one of the first questions I ask them. Tell me the polity of the church. Tell me how the church is governed. And, and if it's not governed according to Scripture, I tell them I would not go there. I wouldn't step foot in that door unless you feel like you're being brought there as an agent to change it into how it's supposed to be. And if you do that, you better make that explicitly clear on the outset because it is going to be tough. And I have walked with brothers in this city who have done that work, and it is a hard work, but it is, uh, it's worth it. So, I'm thankful that the Word of God is not silent on how a church should be ordered and the first thing that I want you to see about how a church should be ordered, and we, we can't skip over this and we can't go quickly through this, but brothers and sisters, the head of the church is Christ Jesus. The Scriptures make this absolutely clear. In Colossians uh, chapter 1, verse 18, He also, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church, And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Again, in the second chapter of the book of Colossians, verse 19, talking about Jesus. And not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body, the church, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth which is from God. Again, in Ephesians, in chapter 5, and the passage that we often look on on marriage, it tells us something about the church as well. In verse 23, it says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. And if we were to go back to uh, chapter 4 in Ephesians, verse 15 and 16, and notice the similarity uh, between here and Colossians. But speaking the truth in love, We are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ. From whom the whole body being fitted and held together 
by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. It's often been said by uh, research groups and by sociological uh, studies of groups of people and churches that the church oftentimes ends up looking like its leader. Far too often that leader is its pastor and not Jesus. If Christ is the head of the church and we are being fitted together then we should be on a journey as believers, as members of this local body, we should be on this journey of looking more and more like Christ. He is the head of the church. He is our all. He came in the form of a man and gave His life and died to ransom the church for Himself. He is our head. He is our leader and our all should be devoted to praising and worshiping Him and, and, and looking like Him. Now, you may say, well, sure, Lewis, that's, people should get that. I had a dear brother in the Lord um, at Crossroads. He ended up coming, and I think he's still there, a, a pastor of a Korean church. Uh, and he left that church because there was a, a dispute and he went to the senior pastor, and the senior pastor said, don't you know who the head of the church is? And he said, yes, Jesus is the head of the church. And the pastor said, no, I'm the head of the church. And so no matter what my friend pointed out in Scripture about what the church should or shouldn't be doing, this senior pastor quieted him and shushed him and said, I am the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. Another interesting, there was a, and I don't know if Casey remembers this, but when we were in seminary, we attended church in Indiana, and there was a little side street, and uh, on this side street was this little church. I don't remember the name of it, but it, it was akin to Louis Belva Church. And I was like, well, that's weird to, to kind of put the name of your church as one of your former pastors who was deceased and to emulate him in that way. That's kind of odd. And then I realized, oh no, this man is still alive. And literally, they named the church after this man. Brothers and sisters, the head of the church is Christ. Now notice, notice in verse 4, the second thing that we're going to see is that under the lordship and headship of Christ, that God has ordained a certain way for the church to function. Look again, you know, chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians, Gary opened up this a series by, by, by looking at Ephesians 4 and the mission of the church. And it's, it's who we are to be. It's what we're supposed to be about. And, and I want you to look at verse 11. It's talking about Jesus. It says, And He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and elders. And those last two, or pastors and teachers, those last two are together. And the word here for pastors is one of the words that's most oftentimes in the New Testament translated, elders. And as we look through that list, in this list, uh, we see one of the distinctive roles within the church was the pastor 
teacher. And what I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, is nowhere else in the New Testament does it tell us how to be a prophet or how to be an evangelist. Uh, we, we know the apostles, the role of apostle is, is gone, right? That w- the apostle was someone who saw the risen Christ. And so what's interesting here is we look, and he's talking about the mission of the church that Paul is saying, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus gave the church elders. Jesus gave the church leaders. And I want you to see this pattern in the New Testament. I'm going to use a lot of Scripture, and just you can just hang with me unless you want to practice your Bible drill this morning, and then you can try to keep up, but you probably won't be able to. But in Acts 14, verse 23... Notice this, and early on in the church, it says, When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. In, uh, in Titus, let me get there. In Titus chapter 1, verse 5, we see this same idea. In chapter 1, verse 5, it says, For this reason I left you in Crete, talking to Timothy, so that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. So we see, we see from early on in the church that what was going on, the pattern was that where a church sprung up, elders were selected and elders were selected to be the leadership over the church. And so it should be no surprise that when we come to First Timothy, when we come to Titus, It should be no surprise that we are given these offices in the church and we are given a description of what an elder should be like. It's God's grace to us that we are given this. Now, this church, and I had to get um, some history from Gary, and uh, uh, he he kept referring me back to our church historian, who's Nick DeCosimo, and I didn't check his facts. So, Nick, you can just tell Gary he's wrong later. All right. Uh, but from the early inception of this church, one of, the, one of the first things that happened as the church was established was that they selected elders. And I can't go into some of the stories that were told to me, but there were some interesting stories about that. Um, uh, one, of, one of the most fascinating ones is that as they were hammering out the bylaws that uh, Gary was living in Dayton at the time, uh, and he would travel on Wednesday mornings to come and meet with these men to kind of hammer out the bylaws and then be back in Dayton for his 9 o'clock class. Um, and so that just showed from the very early outset that Single Mountain Bible Church, as they looked at the New Testament, and they looked at how the church should be structured, that they saw this, this role and this focus on elders. Now, in, in 1 Timothy that was read this morning, we also see the role of deacons, that deacons is another office in the church. We are not going to dive into uh, deeply the role of a deacon just simply to say this. The role of deacon in the New Testament, we see it first happen in Acts with Stephen, when they selected these men, and these men were selected, uh, at this point, these men were selected to serve tables because the, the widows uh, were being neglected and needed food. And so when we look at the role of, of deacon and deaconess in the New Testament, one of the things that we see is that this is a serving role. This is a role of a a group of people who serve the body under the authority of the elders. Uh, here, uh, we, have a, a, we have deacons. Um, the, the history of the church, and this is, 
this is pretty common in a church that uh, is, is formed and ordered rightly early on. Normally, the first office that is filled is elder, and then as the church grows and more needs present themselves, the needs for deacons uh, becomes apparent, and so deacons are uh, put in place. And we have deacons here, um, and they are great, and their role is to help um, make sure um, the functions of the church uh, go properly. I'll just give you a couple of things that they do, and they do a lot. But one of the things that they do is that they are in charge of the benevolence ministry. So, um, so when we are looking at a benevolence need, there's a group of deacons that kind of oversee and, and, uh, and help with that. Uh, we have deacons that, that help in a variety of ways and do a variety of things. They're kind of the, the, uh, the muscle and the grunt of the church. Uh, who love our people well through a ministry of service. So, it's vital, and, and, and these folks love our body. But today, I want to I focus in on what are elders, who are they, and what do they do, um, and how have we structured that here at Single Mountain Bible Church. So, let, let's, uh, let's dig in. Let's dig in. And I, I'm going to borrow from, and if you have, uh, if you remember, if you've been through the new members class, uh, there's a, our new members material is great. I can say that because I didn't write it, so I'm not bragging on myself. Uh, but it's great. And so I'm going to read directly from, in a minute, <laughs> uh, part of how we are led in, from our new members class. And so what we see in the New Testament uh, where we get the word elder, there are three words that are used interchangeably all throughout the New Testament that refer to elder. Uh, the, the first word is, and, and these, these terms um, are really describing kind of uh, 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 who the elder is, uh, what he does. And so you'll, you'll see this in these descriptions. Um, the first is presbyteros. Um, it's translated elder, and it, it can be used as an aged or mature man. But in the New Testament, what we see is that it's not talking necessarily in the New Testament about somebody who's of a certain age. It's talking about their maturity. Also, in the New Testament, the word episkopos, uh, usually translated overseer or bishop, um, and, and this is someone who oversees things, who manages things well. And the third one, and this is the, one, the word that's normally translated shepherd or pastor, is the word poimen. Now, Two passages in the New Testament that I want to read to you where these words are used interchangeably speaking about the same person and same office are Acts twenty seventeen and 28. From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders, presbyteros of the church, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, episkopos, to shepherd, poimen, uh, the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So you see all three words there talked about in the same office. Now later in 1 Peter, uh, in another book, 1 Peter, it says, Therefore I exhort the, exhort the elders, presbyteros among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the suffering of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd, there's that word, again, that root word, poinos, poimen, the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, episkopos, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. So what we see is that there are multiple words used in the New Testament 
for this office of elder. And it describes what he does. He oversees, he shepherds, he, he ministers. The, the passage that we read uh, earlier today, um, that Bill read, talks about the qualifications uh, of the elders. And I want to go through that. We're not going to talk about each one, but I want to go through that again. And I just want to point out just a, a, a couple of things. Again, right now we're talking about the office and who this man is and what this man does. And so if, turn with me over to 1 Timothy, because I do want you to see this as, we are, as we're here. Um, in 1 Timothy, and I'm, like I said, I'm just going to stop just in a couple of places. But it says, it's a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. Now, I'm going to stop right up front um, and say that um, it is our belief, uh, based on Scripture, that the elder of the church should be male. Um, th- this passage, if, if Gary's going to uh, preach a sermon in a couple of weeks, or actually probably a couple of months, on uh, females within the church and the roles of men and women within the church. So I'm not going to dig real deep into that, only to say this. God values and loves women and the work that women do in the church. We at Single Mountain Bible Church would not be a healthy church if we did not have women using their gifts in and among our body. I want you to hear me say that. God also, in His design for men and women, and no matter what our culture says, God also, in His design for men and women, have designed us differently and has given us different roles and functions uh, within the body. And Gary will look at this, like I said, in a couple months, but if we were to take this passage and take time and look, it is a pretty clear, in my mind, flow of different roles of different folks within the church. And when we get to this role of elder, it is, it is just consistent that this is a role for a male within the church. Now, I, I do want to say one of the things that has, one of the things that has uh, been brought to my mind, especially within the past uh, probably two or three months, is that uh, actually further back than that, one of our elders brought this to us uh, probably about five or six months ago. Uh, and we are seeing this and praying through, okay, how do we, how do we overcome some of these issues? And, and that is, is that um, I think as a, uh, a group of male elders, um, sometimes we haven't utilized some of the strengths of our women in the church like we should. And so, uh, you know, for example, um, having women in the room uh, with us as we're working through uh, maybe some uh, problem-solving uh, things where we need that female voice, um, where there's conflict uh, maybe within the church of having a, a woman in the room that, that's helping uh, with that. Um, one of the things that you've seen is that we've tried to, uh, we have two women that are going through some domestic violence training uh, because one of the things is we were looking at statistics of domestic violence. One of the things that we want to ha- have uh, for the women of the church is we want to have Um, somebody that they can go to that's a female because that would be more comfortable to go to to be able to initiate that conversation. And so there's all sorts of things that um, uh, just because we we believe in male eldership, uh, we also have to take a hard look at and say, hey, um, you know, does that male eldership leave some gaps in some of our vision? And I think at times it does. 
Again, we could have a whole sermon on that. But So I'm going back to the text. <laughs> back to the text. So, a man, elder is a man. Uh, a man aspires to the work office of an overseer. It's a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. Now, the other two things that I want to point out here are within verse 2. The first thing is this. Um, the husband of one wife. Uh, that always comes into question. So if you think about that and how this has probably uh, been taught to a lot of you, uh, all these questions may come up in your head. If we say that an elder has to be the husband of one wife, does that mean that a single person can't be an elder? What about the man who's been divorced? Well, within that, what if the man that is divorced, what if he was married and divorced before he was a Christian? Let's take another scenario. What about the man who was a Christian and his wife the unbelieving spouse, was an unbelieving spouse and she left? What if the man who's a Christian um, had a, a spouse and she was unfaithful to him and refused to come back to him no matter how much he begged and pleaded and wanted to restore his marriage? Uh, does that disqualify this man for the office of an elder in the church? And there are many, many faith traditions that would look at this and say yes, but I think if you look at the Word and if you really study the words, that what Paul, as he's writing to Timothy, he's not necessarily talking about marriage when he says the husband of one wife. I'll give you uh, one example. Paul tells people, he writes... It's good for you to be single like I am. So is that Paul disqualifying himself for that office? Secondly, these words, the words here, husband of one wife, literally mean one word man, and they speak more to the moral character of the man than they do to the marital status of the man. And so what it's saying, and if you look at it this way, it makes sense in the flow of the passage, is that what it's really talking about is that he needs to be sexually pure. His sexual ethic and how he is living that out needs to be within the confines of a marriage or else he is disqualified from that service. Now, so you may say, Lewis, do you all believe that a divorced man uh, could potentially be an elder in the church? And we do. We would want to ask that man about the circumstances. We would want to talk to him. And to be honest with you, I think the more potential areas of disqualification when it comes to a divorced man aren't in this verse, but are in verses 4 and 7. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. Meaning, did that man who is divorced, was one of, his, uh, was one of the things that happened is that he was not managing his home well, and that's what led to that divorce. Or, in verse 7, he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. One of the things that we have asked, that have been asked here um, when talking with a man who has been divorced, whether for the office of deacon or for elder, is the, the relationship with the ex-spouse. What is that like? Is there tension there? Is the family, is that being managed well? Um, are there things about what has gone on that would cause, um, would bring back to you uh, shame and dishonor? And so, uh, 
That may be shocking to some of you to hear that that's the stance, but I think the literal interpretation of the word leads us to that. Uh, secondly, or thirdly, the other uh, issue among this, uh, the, these qualifications that I want to bring up that is often uh, talked about is in verse uh, 2, again, the end of verse 2, and that is that an elder is to be able to teach. Now, this is one of the only qualifications that's different uh, from that of a role of, of a deacon. Um, again, Gary will highlight probably this a little bit later because earlier on uh, it, it talks about uh, teaching within the church and with men and women. And so it's interesting here uh, that with the overseer, uh, with the elder, that he's to be able to teach. Now, what this does not mean, this does not mean that at any given time uh, that one of the elders of the church can get up and hold your attention for 30, 35, 45, 55 minutes uh, from a pulpit or in a classroom. If we were to go over to the book of Titus and look where this same qualification is laid out, one of the things that it directly flows into is it flows into a heresy that was going on within the church. And so what we get, the idea here is that an elder must know the Word of God, must be able to handle the Word of God, must be able to apply the Word of God, um, must be able to protect the church because he knows what a biblically ordered and, and, and what the Bible would say about the different doctrines of the church, that that's what able to teach is really meaning here. So it doesn't mean that to be elected as an elder that you have to be in a, a, a functioning teaching role at the church as far as in a classroom. But it does mean, it does mean that you're to be able to teach. Last week, as Gary was talking about church discipline, how is an elder going to be able to reproach a brother that's in sin and tell them about the dangers of their sin and, and reconciliation with God and where in Scripture it points out that that sin is if he doesn't know the Word of God and the doctrines of God? Let me keep reading. Not addicted to wine or pugnacious but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. I, I, I want you to test our elders on that one this morning. Ask them for $100. If they don't give it to you, we're going to disqualify. No, I'm just teasing. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? He's not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. Now, one of the things that happens is that when we uh, ask men and we go through these qualifications as we're sitting with them to be elders, uh, one of the things that happens is that always people say, well, I, I, don't, I don't fit all of those. And, and what we're looking at, no one fits all of these qualifications, Right? No one fits all these qualifications, but what we're looking for is that is your life, is this the trajectory of your life, and, and, and are you qualified, and do others see these things in you? So, so that's what, those are the qualifications of an elder. This is, uh, uh, this is who, uh, what an elder is. Um, and then uh, there's one other thing about the elders in the church that, that I really want to point out here, um, and that's this. Um, the elders, notice I have used the word elders and not elder. 
one of the things that I was interested in is I was going back and looking at uh, the, the church that I was brought up in, and, and it was a biblically-minded church, you know? The, uh, I, my friends who were serving churches that it's, it's not this model, uh, those folks love God's Word, and I was just kind of racking my head, how in the world do they get there? And the way that they get there is that they look at the Bible and that they say, oh no, we have an elder, singular. So the structure of the church is that the pastor is the elder. They don't, most churches uh, don't call him that. They call him the pastor, but that word fits. And then you have some other structure, right? The deacons or whatever. And what we see in Scripture, I think, is crystal clear that there's to be a plurality of elders. Um, in the Old Testament, uh, before Jesus hit the scene, um, uh, Jewish towns were often organized. The leadership of the Jewish towns, they were often called the elders of the town. In the book of Deuteronomy, we see a group of elders uh, that would come together and do some very interesting things. You can go look that up uh, when you get home. Um, and so it makes complete sense uh, that as, uh, as, as Jesus comes on the scene and as God is ordering His church, that we see that God's intention for the church to be led by a group of men, not just one individual. Five New Testament authors uh, use these terms, um, and this term is always in the plural unless it's talking about an individual person. So unless it was talking about like Elder Gary... <laughs> Um, then it's used in the plural. And I'm just going to give you some examples. In James, in James 5, 14, when James, remember in the book of James where he says, if anyone among you is sick, call the elders of the church and have them come pray over you. Elders, plural, church, singular. In 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, where, where Peter is talking about um, elders uh, shepherding the flock. Shepherds, elders is plural there. Flock there is singular. In Philippians chapter 1, um, verse 1, in speaking to the church at Philippi, elders there is plural. And so you see, all throughout the New Testament, this is what the model that's said is these group of men that are equipped to lead the church. And so this is where, this is one of the places where I really want you to pay attention because I really want to lean in here. Um, and, and there's something kind of big that I want, uh, I, I want us to grasp. Two things. One is that Gary and I are just one of the elders. We are one of equals. We're not the first among equals. Now, now it is true that in our, in our bylaws that the senior pastor, uh, the teaching elder, uh, isn't nominated, that, that he is the, he's on the elder board. But there's been some functions that have been set in place, uh, some safeguards that have been set in place so that the senior pastor or the teaching pastor uh, doesn't gain that CEO status. The, uh, Gary and I can't be the chairman of the elders, we can't be the vice chairman of the elders, and we can't be the treasurer. You are pastored and led by a group of men. One of the other things that's fascinating about the history of the church um, so Gary, when the church started, and he was in Dayton, um, that was a long way to drive. I think that was the, the horse and buggy took a couple of days to get here. Oh, I mean, uh, yeah. 
Respect your elders, right? Um, but it was also a long-distance phone call. And so one of the things that Gary talked about was that as, as he would come down from Dayton for, for a meeting, that, that the men, the elders of the church, were doing most of the pastoring. Because Gary was far away in a far-off land in Dayton, Tennessee. Um, and so, so, so it was interesting. So from the very beginning, there was this idea that, no, these are the pastors of the church. That Gary is a, was a preaching, teaching pastor. That decisions were made. Um, uh, that was one of the things that Gary laughed about, that sometimes decisions were made that he would just show up and something had been changed. And uh, that it was, it was always good and right. Um, but he did say, Nick, it would have been good to call him on a couple of them just to let him know. But, 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 but the elders were doing their job. They were eldering the church. You know, my first elder meeting, I was, um, I was anxious in my first elder meeting and was very observant because um, as I loved and had just a ton of respect for Gary, um, one of the things that I knew that if, if Gary were a pastor somewhere for 30 plus years, there would be a tendency for the guys in the room to look to him as kind of that CEO, head honcho type thing. And I was very pleased to enter that room and to see um, the model of submission that Gary had walked in so that in that elder room, the tone was not everyone looking to Gary to make decisions, but this is a group of elders that is pastoring and leading the church. And so what I want you to hear, and this is vital, and I want you to hear this, because this has a lot of implications. And I'm not going to go into all of the implications, but I just want you to hear this. Tracy Gartman. I lost my place on the page. It's Tracy's fault. He's not here. Mark Graves, Nick DeCosimo, John Zeiser, Steve Bauer, B.J. Smith, and Bill Huddleston. Hear my words. These are your pastors. If we are going to be biblically minded, if we're going to look at the Bible and how the Bible sets out that we're ordered, one of the things that you'll see as we're looking at this office of leadership is that these aren't just, this isn't a, a board of trustees or a, a board that's making sure that Gary and I don't get out of line, although they do help us with that. But these are your pastors. And so when Tracy or Mark or Nick or John is, when they're coming and when they're speaking with you and when they're ministering to you, these are your pastors loving you, trying to encourage you, trying to equip, equip you and to guard you. Meaning that they have the same weight or authority over the body as Gary and I do. I, and one of the things that I think is tempting in any church and, and I just want to make sure that we kind of set, especially as we're going through this series and we set a mark, we just set a, a, a pillar in the sand, is to make sure that we don't drift away from that. I think there's a tendency to drift away from that. There's a tendency in my pride as one of your pastors to feel like that I've got to do it all or be involved in everything. And I have been reminded by uh, some of you elders and uh, 
other folks who have loved me well, especially in the past three or four months, that that's not your role. And so one of the most glorious things as, as one of the elders is to sit back and to watch these elders elder and shepherd and love and step into situations and handle that beautifully. Way better than what I could. And, and, and one of the things that, that God has brought to my attention is that God has strategically placed these men in and among us to love and take care of this body. I am just thoroughly convinced of that. So just because they may not be in the pulpit every week doesn't mean they're not a pastor. Now, um, there's going to be a question that's probably in your head, so I want to go fast because I want to get to that question, hopefully. Um, this is not the question, but I want you to know. How are these men elected? This is going to happen soon. It's timely. Uh, what will happen is that we will, in the bulletin, there will be an insert, and it will give the qualifications of elders, and we will ask you to turn in names of men who you think uh, fit this description. And we take those nominations, we go over them, uh, we uh, come up with a slate of, of, of guys, and we put that out to the church, uh, and then the church is able to give feedback. There have been times that someone has been nominated and feedback has come in and that person uh, is then taken off of that slate of elders. Um, so the church body is, is directly involved. And then, after a time, uh, at the annual meeting, we give weeks and weeks. At the annual meeting, we come in and we vote on the slate of elders as, as a group. And then those men are brought on to the elder board. And they serve... Um, Typically, they serve two two-year terms. Um, at the end of two years, they have the option of rotating off if, if something's going on in their life or they need to rotate off, but typically two two-year terms before a mandatory at least one year off where they have to be uh, uh, re-elected to become back onto the active elder board. Now, that's the part that's not in the Bible, right? And different churches do that a little bit differently. And that's okay. We can have healthy debates on that. But that's how we do it. Uh, quickly, what they do, they oversee the ministry and the purpose of the church. Uh, we spend a lot of time in prayer. We meet twice a month. One of the meetings is just to pray. In, in, the, other business, the, bus in the other meeting, the business-type meeting, we spend a lot of time in prayer weekly we're sending emails and phone calls to one another about needs in the body where we're praying at our uh, we have an annual meeting where we go away for a couple of days and in that meeting we spend about eight hours going over every family in the church and praying for you by name it's one of the functions it's one of what we are supposed to be about we pray for you uh, another one is is another thing that the elders do is they protect uh, the body they, they, they protect the doctrine of the church. They uphold the gospel. Um, John, when he wants to sing a new song, he sends it to the elder board so that we can make sure that doctrinally it's sound. And, and we sing about one of every eight. He said, that's not true. We haven't rejected one yet. Um, but but it, it's our job. The, the teaching of the church, the preaching of the church. Gary and I are under submission to the elder board uh, in our teaching and preaching. And so we submit to their authority on those things. They shepherd, they disciple, they love, they handle conflicts. One book uh, about elders, and I love this, said that elders should smell like sheep. Shepherds should smell like sheep. Because it's not some like vague um, board that's above all and um, 
detracted from the body, but elders should be um, in and among the body, growth groups, uh, Sunday school classes, that sort of thing. They make decisions on matters of the church, and when we make decisions on the matters of the church, that's a unanimous decision. We never, uh, well, we, if we vote, it's not a, a democracy rule type thing. We don't move unless all the elders are unanimous in that decision. That's unique as well. Not all churches do that. Not all biblically functioning churches do that. That's how we have done things here, and it has been a wonderful uh, precedent. Now, so the question that you might be asking is, wait a minute, if all those guys are pastors, what are we paying you and Gary for? (laughs) Well, I'm glad you asked that question. In 1 Timothy, in chapter 5, and 1 Timothy is where we had um, about elders, in verse 17, he talks about elders again. And it says, the elders who rule are well to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. So that double honor talks about uh, payment, the earning their livelihood uh, through the church, that there are certain elders that are set aside for the work of preaching and teaching and, and praying. And we also see throughout the New Testament that this was common practice. Um, if you think about it, Paul instructing Timothy, he wrote to Timothy, he wrote even though there were other elders at the church in Ephesus, he's writing to Timothy. In the book of Revelations, when John is writing to the elders of the churches, that's one of the places where the word elder is singular. Uh, it, it often uh, also messenger or angel of the church. And so we see um, throughout the Bible that there is this model of having a teaching elder who is the regular one who is dispersing the message and handling the word of God uh, from the pulpit. Now, to end, one of the things that I want you to know is I am so thankful that God in his wisdom laid out this model of church leadership. One of the things I'm most thankful for are the times in my, the many, many times in my ministry where the elders have said no to me. (laughs) I've had some really bad ideas that I went into the elder room thinking was a great idea. (laughs) But when you toss that around to these group of men who love the church, who are shepherding the church, and they say, oh, Lewis, I think that's a really horrible idea. I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that, that as a pastor, as one of the elders, I'm not in this thing alone. I grew up in a pastor's home, and, and I watched it almost literally kill my father. That he was, it was the CEO model, and It's not what he wanted, but he bore the weight of all of it and didn't know where to turn when frustrations hit the church. I am so thankful that when frustrations, when conflicts, when matters that need to be discussed, that we can go to the elder room, that we can pray together, that we can search the scriptures together, that we can hear the wisdom of the other guys in the room as we lead the church. Now, to end... I just want you to be thinking about two things. And the first one's, well, both of them are important. I hope you spend time praying for us. If you don't, please do. This responsibility isn't taken lightly. One of the things that I can tell you about the elders in the elder room is that they love you deeply. 
When you hurt, they hurt. When you're in pain, they're in pain. When some of you wander, it causes anxiety. We're also imperfect men. We need your prayer. We covet your prayer. The Bible instructs you to pray for your elders. And I would encourage you, please, as we are taking time to pray for you by name, would you maybe consider praying for your elders by name? Lifting us up in prayer. We need that. The second thing is this, and if it wasn't abundantly clear last week, hopefully it's abundantly clear this week. These nominations for elder that are coming up, you need to take them seriously. We need to take them seriously. This is a major office and a major thing within the church. And so as you see the things in the bulletin uh, come out, I pray that you would lean into that. I pray that you would uh, pray that as, as, as we get those nominations, that the, the Holy Spirit would guide us into um, what that looks like. Of Do we bring someone on this term? Who do we bring on this term? What would God's plan be for that it's it's an important important thing i know i say this pretty often and i want to end with this uh because i believe it and i believe it strongly at any given time we're only one generation away we're only one generation away we're only one generation away from any structure that has been set up that's godly and biblical crumbling one generation away And so one of the other things that I'm passionate about, and one of the reasons why preaching on this topic and then heading into elder nominations is that we also have to be raising up young men who can be the next generation of elders at this church. And as I look out among you, I'm tempted to name, but I won't do that, but I could name young men that I just see elder qualities in you. Pray for these men. Pray for these men. We are in need of it. I, I, um, one elder, when I first came to the church, uh, there was an elder, and I won't embarrass him, I was talking to, and uh, I said, you know, he, he asked me about how I felt like the elders functioned, and I, I, I was saying, I'm so thankful. I said, I've only got one, there's only one thing I'm concerned about. And he said, what's that? And I was like, well, all the elders in the room, like the, they're, they're all elders, not only elders, but they're elders. He said, no, 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 no. We are a young elder board. And then he paused and was like, you're right. What he was looking at was that he was probably an elder within the first 10 years of the church and remembers the days when it felt like you all were just stumbling through as young men and uh, was like, oh, wait a minute, we are. <laughs> we are experienced elders. And, and so... One of the things we've got to remember is that we've got to raise up young men within this as well because the, the leadership and the vitality of the church depend on it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for how straightforwardly it talks about how we are to be led. God, I thank you for the elders that you have brought here to this church. God, I thank you that we don't have to create them, but we just have to look out and affirm what you have already done in their life. God, help us. Help us as we navigate um, your work here in the church. Help us as we lead the church to always be leading 
for this church to look more like you, who, your son, who is our head, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Let's all